Lord, thank you for the promises that you give us that even though life is hard, you are with us. You are our helper. And there is real and sure hope that you are working in the world and you've revealed that servant uh, ultimately fulfilled in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on him. You would open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears that we might see him and know him and love him and follow him. Uh, Lord, please be with me in my words, guide and guard everything that I say such that I will not say anything but what is honoring to the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So our bodies are pretty amazing. I was thinking about that. There are many tissues in our bodies and my family members who are medically oriented or this is information from them so you can trust it. There are many tissues in your body that right now are working to deal with things that your body doesn't super like, toxins, your kidney, your liver, kidneys, if you're lucky enough to have two, they are actively working. There are other tissues too that I don't know about and maybe you don't either. And yet God has made our bodies so that physical toxins can be taken care of. They can be processed, metabolized, gotten rid of. In many cases, when our tissues are damaged, either through toxins or just like physical damage, our bodies heal and our tissues repair themselves. And it does all that, dealing with toxins, repairing, and we don't even have to think about it. I mean, we probably have to cooperate to some extent, like get good sleep and and eat right and drink water, but pretty much it just happens and we don't need to uh, think about that. Uh, Non-physical toxins are trickier and we don't have built-in processes to deal with those. Uh, Toxic things that we hear damaging things that we see, things that we experience that are hurtful, or even that we are participating in, that is trauma that are, we don't have an automatic mechanism to deal with that. Um, and the same thing uh, with damage, uh, you know, there's cruel words that were spoken to me as a child. And I'm still carrying those wounds. There's injustice in this world. There's grief of loss. There's trauma in broken relationships, abuse of power. There are many things that you've been exposed to and I've been exposed to that are difficult. And it's complicated to know what to deal with those, how to deal with those things, how to process them how to move on, how to be restored. It's complex. And I would suggest that we don't automatically just know how to do that. Our souls don't necessarily heal on their own. They just don't. Uh, And we struggle to process pain and toxins and darkness. And I was thinking about this uh, particularly, and it reminded, like I was reminded, February is Black History Month. And like that, I think, is one thing that we can, I can learn from a history of 
strong and resilient people as they dealt with oppression and cruelty that was beyond their control in most cases, one response was to sing. Black voices sang. They sang their pain and their hardship. They sang hope and they processed that together. So they weren't songs of pure sunshine, but songs that courageously took hold of the hard in one hand and also held on to, in many cases, a gospel hope that God saw them in the place where they were. And he wasn't going to leave them alone um, in that space. And it, to not deny the one or the other, to hold on to the hard and to hold on the hope takes a lot of bravery uh, to be mournful and joyful at the same time. Because doing that means you have to let yourself feel both. And that, which means to let yourself feel the hard, which means you hurt and you cry. Uh, and you have to live in the both places, the now and the not yet. And so many of those brave songs have been woven into the fabric of our nation. And the songs probably that are even popular songs that acknowledge pain and acknowledge suffering come influenced by that legacy from our African-American brothers and sisters. And uh, many of those brave songs that they sang in slavery continue to bless the church. I suggest to you that we are wired to sing, that we don't have like a, a spiritual liver or kidneys that process toxins, but this is one way that God has given us to process hard things and heal wounds. He has wired our souls to sing. Uh, worship shapes the hearts of God's people. And the Bible does not shirk from the reality that life is very hard. People are messy, beautiful and broken. Pain is real. There are real and scary things in this world. And no matter what, at least the culture might tell us, I suggest to you, pain is not a natural or death is not a natural part of life. Death hurts. It's loss. It takes away. It robs. It's a thief. And uh, there's lots of hard, and the Bible does not turn our eyes or like try to gloss it over. But also, Scripture holds out to us a lot of hope. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of hope. And lots of help. There is, and as I was just thinking about that and wrestling with this ginormous passage that we're looking at tonight, um, there is a lot of singing in the Bible. You believe that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I did a little search. This was the ESV concordance just through Bible Gateway. Like, which book do you think had the most occurrences of the word song and, and sing? Psalms, right? Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, no, that was good. Like, like I think over a hundred, um, which makes sense, right? It's a songbook, basically. It's a book of inspired songs for God's covenant people. What's number two in the whole Bible? Isaiah. Thirty-three times that, at least the ESV, has the word sing or song. And that's not even counting the times when songs are depicted, but that word isn't used. Like there's a lot of singing in Isaiah. 
And um, I thought that was, that's really helpful for us as we've been wrestling with this giant book that has, it's this ginormous casserole mixed together in such a beautiful and artful way of really hard words of God's judgment. God is just. And human rebellion invites and demands God's justice. And at the same time, God is merciful and he offers comfort, real comfort. And he holds out both judgment and comfort to us, his justice and comfort. And songs help us navigate that, like give us words to borrow as we pour out the longings of our hearts. God's songs give us strength. It's, I think, I suggest to you a means of his grace to us that we can live in the hard reality of the now and deal with the hard things that have happened in our lives, the wrong things that have been done to you and have been said about you, the broken relationships in your life. Those songs can help us navigate that in not a numb way, in not a Pollyanna way, in not a uh, like just pretending like they don't exist way, but living knowing that God is here. He's here in the midst of it. He's here helping us in the hard because he is a helper and he holds out hope. He is working out his purposes to restore and redeem a people for himself. And so we have a sure hope. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ, you can have a sure hope that he has put limits on your suffering. Us together as a group of Christians, he has put limits on our suffering. Death and pain and grief will not be the last word for those who trust in him in Christ Jesus. So these are our words tonight that I'm just gonna use as our guide to go through these last chapters of Isaiah. Life is hard. God is our helper. God gives real hope and God calls us to hold on to him and his promises. So alliteration, <laughs> it just sort of happened. Um, so I, I'm excited and I apologize for it um, at the same time. So we are gonna go through tonight. I guess I didn't put that up. We're looking at Isaiah 49. So we're looking at in the big picture of Isaiah, we're in the second part, the book of comfort chapters 40 to 66, but we're doing, we're going to go fly at a 10,000 foot view over 49 to 66. So the last part of that, obviously we're not going to be able to do it justice, but we can ask big questions and think about what is God doing and how can we respond? And so some, a big theme, although God's people has drawn God's judgment, the Lord is King. And he is coming to fully establish his good sin forgiving reign. So that's kind of the big picture. And this is something we need to let seep into our bones because that hasn't changed. Even though thousands of years have passed since this beautiful document was written, uh, that, and now it's preserved for us, we need to know that the Lord is king and he is coming. He will fully establish his sin forgiving and good righteous reign. Okay, so let's do, we're going to go through these four parts. We're going to go through it quickly. Um, so first the hard, and this is, we're not going to, I mean, you could open up your Bibles to Isaiah, I guess. Um, and you can, you can flip through it if you want. I don't have a passage I'm going to read from on this section. 
Um, This is the context of Isaiah that we've been studying. Isaiah is God's message through his servant Isaiah to God's rebellious people of Judah. This is the southern kingdom and really not just one tribe too because Benjamin had been folded into this. And there are two kinds of hard to sing about in Isaiah. First, there's the hard that humans bring to the table, our rebellion against God. And so if you're looking for that in Isaiah, you can go to Isaiah one and I'll like verse two starts off right away. God's people don't know him and they've rebelled against him. And uh, for centuries, as we've been studying this year, Judah, Israel as a whole, and then after Israel got taken into exile, Judah has been living in the good land that God promised to Abraham, their ancestors, uh, getting the benefits of being God's people, being under his kingship, but they have not wanted to live God's way, or maybe some of God's way, but mostly their own way. And uh, they have not wanted to obey God's law, nor love God wholeheartedly, even though God is their king. And God is life and God is goodness. There is no goodness in life and flourishing and happiness apart from God. It just doesn't exist. Not in a lasting way for sure. Uh, It doesn't exist. And so that's the first kind of hard. It's the hard that we as humanity have brought to the table since our ancestors, Adam and Eve, went on that path. The second kind of hard is God's response to that first hard. God pursues and he follows up. Uh, He sent appeal after appeal to Judah, but they're so resistant to God, they can't even hear. They refuse to listen and they can't listen, but God is holy and just as well as compassionate. So at this point, God's judgment on them is inevitable. It is coming and uh, they will be exiled. They will be taken out of the land. They will go to Babylon, which is a foreign nation in the north. They will suffer. Many will die. That's another hard. Uh, God's judgment is, is hard. It's hard. And where we are kind of in this little picture where it's, it's going to get harder uh, for the people of Judah. And God lays out this problem and tells them his just judgment is coming. But his judgment, his judgment is a kind of hard that leads to good for any who turn back to him. God is merciful and he promises to preserve a faithful, repentant remnant. He will not waste the suffering, but use it to draw back and purify the faithful. So as we read tonight, as you discuss it in your groups, keep your eye out for both kinds of hard because it's gonna be usually not too far away from whatever's going on, even though there are lots of words of comfort. Okay, so that's kind of our first division. There we go. Um, I wonder, what are you doing with your hard? What's hard in your life? Where are you facing either rebellion, your own hard that you've made, your own making, or just living in the effects of this sinful world, broken world? Life is hard. Maybe finances are tight. Maybe you've broken relationships in your life. Maybe your job is a mess. Maybe you need to leave and move away and go to a place that you don't know. What's hard? Um, What are you going to do with that hard? God enters into our heart to help. God is our helper. 
So second division. So Isaiah 40, 66 is, has been called the book of comfort or the book of deliverance. Those two are interchangeable. Uh, again, judgment and deliverance in the Bible are almost always, if not always, very closely intertwined. They go together. We can't have the one without the other. Um, it presumes, the book of comfort presumes the context of hard. It presumes that the immediate original audience were going to be exiles very, very shortly. Um, and it speaks about the physical captivity that they would experience in Babylon even before it was fully realized. But it also speaks about the spiritual captivity which has ensnared us since Adam and Eve. But let's look briefly just to think about God as our helper. He comes to us. He takes the initiative into our heart. He is a helper. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah 41. Um, in verses, we're just going to look at this briefly. I know that was last week's passage, but trust me, there's more beauty here for us to think about. Um, Isaiah, so 41 verses 1 to 7 talk about an impending invasion. Again, this is God's judgment where he's going to use a foreign nation to come and deliver judgment on his people. See verse two, uh, who stirred up one from the east, who victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. Um, He makes them like dust with his sword. So the Lord has sent that who has stirred up, that's the Lord, but there's that one who's driving and he is uh, the king of Babylon. And look um, at, the natural human instinct to see this hard thing and look to false helpers. Verses five to seven, uh, the coastlands have seen and are afraid and they're right to afraid, to be afraid. The, the ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. Now we might think like, okay, that is good. It is good to help your neighbor. And absolutely it is. But as we look at the contrast that's coming in verses eight and nine, the idea was they're looking not to each other as an agent of God's help, but rather instead of God's help. Um, And then verse seven is ominous because they're looking to idols. There's a um, craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. And in the context of this section, it's talking about idols. They're saying it's good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But the Lord is saying, those are silly things. Don't trust in things that can't save you. Verses eight and nine, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth who, and called from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. God is present. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And it goes on there. So you can read on even to verse 14. There's, there's more like that repeating of don't fear and, um, and that God is our helper. He calls himself uh, Israel's helper. And even though we're not, none of us sitting in this room are Israel or Judah, um, he invites us, and we'll see this in the next chapters, he invites anyone from nations to come in and look to him as their help in Christ Jesus. 
Um, So we see God acting and intervening in human history. His speaking of who he is and what he will do is one of these acts. So him speaking about himself in this way is an act. God's acting and God's speaking are intertwined together. God is our helper. And I wonder, where have you seen that? How has God been your helper? Has that been proved in your life? Has he helped you? Will you thank him for that? For his kindness to you? Maybe there's somebody you can tell, tell about that. That how God has helped you in that particular way. Um, and where do you need his help? In those hard things. Will you look to him? Okay, let's go to our third point. God gives us real and certain hope. This hope is meant to sustain us in the hard things. So God's hope is coming. God's hope is not abstract, but personal. And so in the first section of Isaiah, in um, early on, we saw particularly in chapters 7 through 11, like a section of Emmanuel, where there were prophecies about a king coming, uh, a, a Davidic king, uh, the rightful and true heir of David, who would be God with us, Emmanuel, ruling in peace and righteousness in a forever kingdom. He will be the inheritor and fullest fulfiller of all God's promises to David. So that was early in Isaiah. Late now that we're in Isaiah, this second section stresses hope in the Lord's servant. And so we're going to get to four what are called servant songs. Um, and a servant, actually, the word for servant that's used is a, is a word for slave. It's translated servant, um, but it's, it's the same word for slave. Um, and it, the, the idea is uh, here, God is saying he is going to send a servant uh, an Israel. And we even just read about it, Israel, my servant. Didn't we just read that? Yeah, 41 verse 8, Israel, my servant. This will be an Israel. Sometimes it does mean Israel because Israel was supposed to be the Lord's servant, right? They were supposed to be fulfilling God's purposes, revealing his character among the nations. Largely, they had failed in that. Um, but this is, he speaks of, um, in these four songs and through, uh, elsewhere too, uh, and Israel is coming, a someone who serves the Lord and his purposes in the ways that Israel was supposed to do but didn't. And he will be the true Israel. And we'll get into this, in, in, especially in chapter uh, 49, uh, someone who is both Israel and distinct from Israel and, uh, and kingish in significant ways so that we who are Christians see both of these kind of promises, the early promises of the, of the king who is coming and these later promises of the servant who is coming, we see them fully embodied in the one person centered in, embodied in, fulfilled fully in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, Christ, by the way, isn't Jesus' last name. It is his title. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. It means he's anointed to do the Lord's work, to be the Lord's king. He is the Lord. And so this, by the way, is the, it is not the position that everyone, Jewish people, don't read these scriptures and say, ooh, this is Jesus. Like, 
But this is our position. Historically, as Christians, we have taken this view that in Isaiah, both of these promises, kind of the kingly promises and the servant promises, are Jesus. And so that's the way we're going to take them here. Uh, BSF, uh, of course, your notes will read Isaiah this way too. So, okay, uh, this next section... um, Oh yeah, we're in hope, aren't we? Okay, so I'm just gonna give you the principle of hope now. I don't know, it's, it's a weird lecture, sorry. Okay, so here's the principle I think we can learn. Um, God's hope is something to sing about. God's hope is something to sing about. What is God's hope? Here and throughout, it does mean rescue. Rescue by his servant. God's hope, the rescue by his servant is something to sing about. And the second part of Isaiah has these, these servant songs. And I got to thinking about that. Um, how are they songs? Like if you read in your study Bible, everything I've ever read about Isaiah has talked about these as songs. But you go to them, like here the, here's sort of the brackets. They're, they have these fuzzy boundaries. And in Isaiah and prophecy general, there's, it's very hard sometimes to keep track of who is talking and who are the pronouns. It can be very confusing and it can switch uh, verse to verse. But so I went and I looked at all four of these songs. And what I noticed is that all of them talking about the servant, they prompt singing. There's not singing in the song itself, though maybe it's supposed to be sung. I don't know. But like it prompts singing in each of those cases. And in the final one, sort of the, not sort of the climactic one, the suffering servant singing anticipates it and it follows it. So I thought what we could do just in this section is look, uh, we're going to just look at the responses because in each of those cases, uh, they, the song I suggest to you, I haven't studied this as deeply as I want, but I suggest to you the song interprets, the singing part interprets what the servant was revealed to do or be in that song section that precedes it. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're just going to run with that. Uh, and I encourage you, again, why songs? Songs are connected to our heart. God's just wired us that way. Um, and he calls us to see his chosen, chosen servant. If you look at 52.13, he's, we're called to see him. Uh, see him with our eyes and our mind and also our hearts. Um, he's set up there, exalted in a place so everybody can look at him. And uh, that's what the Lord intends. Behold See, my servant shall act wisely. So uh, may we, Lord, uh, even now as we go into these songs, may you help us see him, not only with our mind, but with our heart, and have our lives be transformed. Amen. Sorry, that was some spontaneous prayer. Okay. Um, all right. So let's look at, for 42, 1 through 9, um, this is a song of the servant's spirit-filled mission. Um, there's a lot going on, of course. And this, we did look at this last week, but you know, it's okay. It bears repeating. So uh, let's look at the song that comes after that. The response in singing is uh, 42, 10, verse 10 through 13. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fulfill, all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, 
Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountain. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. So we see this, uh, the, we see God receiving praise from the whole earth. And the point is, God will do this because the servant is faithful. God is going to receive praise from the whole earth through the Lord's servant. And look at that in uh, 60, I'm sorry, not 62, 42 verses uh, 6. Uh, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. All the nations are going to be looking at this light. They need it to bring, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I'm the glory that, I'm the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So the, it, the Lord is going to be getting this glory, but it's the servant who's going to be doing it. And in that mysterious way, he will glorify his servant and yet still not be giving glory to another, which points to the Trinity, that the Lord, God the Father, and God the Son are the same, uh, uh, the same essence within the Trinity and God the Spirit. So they work in unity together. Um, and so the uh, God's glory is going to fill the whole earth. Remember that in Isaiah 6, that was part of the praise that we studied. And he will show compassion in nations in darkness. And so the second part of this song in verse 13, um, in the Lord's servant, God is going to triumph over his enemies. So the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. It will be his servant who does that, friends. So look at 42, uh, 1B through 4, where we see the servant will rule. He will rule in justice and mercy. It will be uh, a bruised reed. He will not break, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. Those are, that is kingly language. So he will be, this servant will already is doing kingly imagery. Okay. So let's look at, skip ahead to the second song, 49, 1 to 12, is the song and the response to the song, which is the bit that we're going to look at again just now. It'd be great to look at the whole song, but um, just to look at this and interpret the key point, you know, I suggest to you perhaps the key points. Um, verse 13, 49, 13, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. And so it will be, I suggest to you, in the song, the, the servant song, 49, 1 through 12, uh, will be the servant's work in here that the Lord comforts and has compassion. And he's purposed to honor his servant in this. So look at verses 5 and 6. Um, this is a servant speaking. Uh, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. So there's that tension, right? Someone doing Israel's job and yet distinct from Israel, 
um, so true Israel, for I, that's the servant speaking, am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So not only there do we see God's purpose, he's not just going to be saving Israel, but he's going to be looking to gather people to himself for the whole nation, for, from all peoples, so that he could bring glory to himself. In that, uh, look at verse, end of verse three. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So that is God's larger purpose. He is going to, again, fill the earth with his glory. And so, but the Lord is committed, don't miss this, the Lord is committed to honor his servant. It is too light a thing for him to just gather Israel. He's going to gather people from the whole world. So know that, friends. God is set on honoring Jesus. He will not depart from that. He will not decrease the honor of Jesus one iota in any way. Is there another way to God other than Jesus? No, no, a hundred times no. Because to do that, to offer another way to God or to happiness, to fulfillment, to restoration, would decrease the glory that Jesus would get. And God the Father is determined to glorify his son and lift him up high and exalted. He is the servant and the one. He is our savior. And so look at uh, the afflicted um, in verse nine, not just Israel, but like saying to all the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. Um, They shall feed along the way. On the barren heights shall be their pasture. And it goes on. There is a new exodus, friends that this servant is doing. And it is not leading his people through a desert. He is leading his people by well-watered pasture in this beautiful place. And look at that. Isn't that so encouraging? If you are imprisoned in darkness, if there is a sin that is in your life that you are ensnared by, Jesus says, come out. And he has the power to forgive and restore you. And not that work will not be done completely and perfectly until we see him face to face. But as someone wrote, there is substantial healing available in Jesus now. And my life testifies to that. I have, in Jesus, I have overcome huge addictions. And he has freed me from things that there's no way that I could have done myself. That is his work, friends. He is a beautiful savior. Um, and moving on there to uh, look at the, so we looked at the, the response and song. Um, who's singing? All creation. They see that. It is right, friends. If we are slow <laughs> to see God's work and be like, oh boy, this is boring. Like, oh my another worship song. Oh my gosh. Um, we, 
like when that is in my heart is I am not in alignment to the Lord because the Lord's work is like even creation is crying out. Um, but sometimes we're in hard stuff and it's hard to sing. Look at 14 to 15. Uh, but Zion said, so that's another name for Jerusalem or, or uh, Judah. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. It seems that we shouldn't wait to sing. That even in our hard stuff, even when we feel like the Lord has forgotten us, we should not wait to sing because it's, it's so certain to happen. It's so sure we can sing about it in advance. True hope means daring to sing in celebration of something that we cannot see fully with our eyes, um, even in advance of God's full rush, rescue. The Lord does not forget or forsake those who have covenanted with him. That was true then, thousands of years ago, and he has not changed, friends. And those of us who are in Christ, were covenanted in Christ, guess what? He will not forsake that covenant because it would diminish glory from Jesus, right? And he will not forsake you. If you have come to Jesus and you've asked for him to forgive you and to make you a new creation and the Lord will not forsake you because to do so would mean that he is not listening to Jesus. He's not honoring that covenant and would decrease that. Uh, uh, Okay, so he is coming soon and the hard will end. Okay, Um, gosh, I'm just looking at our time. All right, so we're just gonna like go kind of quickly through this next one, singing um, the second song in 50 verse uh, four through 11 is the servant song and we can see the singing part is 50 right after that again in 51 1 to 3 joy and gladness will be found of her the end of uh verse 3 thanksgiving will be the voice of song and then um yeah hate to move along but there we go uh 52 so the servant's song starts in verse 13 uh, and i love it that our lesson helps us focus on this song particularly because it's so beautiful and it reveals the ministry of our Lord Jesus so clearly. Um, And so the singing here comes before as well as after. And so uh, verses seven through nine are, are singing, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And we see going back, there's a king coming to Zion. Your God reigns. And verse seven, um, verse nine, break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm and before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And that um, anticipate, like the Lord is coming back, his servant is coming back to reign in Jerusalem. And this is so joyful uh, for Jerusalem, especially, right? Because Jesus' ministry focused in Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem as king in the triumphal entry, not the way that people expected, 
but he did. He was their king. And so, and we see a few days later, he was uh, lifted up on the cross. Uh, Verse 13 in the psalm itself, behold, my servant shall act wisely, which he did. He was faithful, the garden of Gethsemane and up um, all the way. He shall be high and lifted up. And probably there is a, a play in there. So he was high and lifted up on a cross right? Um, first, he was dif- disfigured. Look at that surprise. And, and after such exaltation in, in uh, 13 to 14, he was disfigured. Uh, going on verse 3, he was despised and rejected. Um, 4, 7, 8, he was wounded and crushed in Jerusalem. And there he was died. There he died and was buried. Um, verse 9, in Jerusalem, Jesus was raised from the dead. We can see that um, prefix. Pre- prefigured in verse uh, 10. Um, So even though he was made his grave with the wicked, verse 9, the Lord crushed him. Uh, His soul made an offering for guilt. It had to be in Jerusalem, friends, because that's where the temple was. And even his priestly work, look at the end of 12, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. So Jesus was sacrifice and priest at the same time. And when he was raised from the dead, uh, it was in Jerusalem and uh, before the watching world. And maybe that is even speaking of Pentecost, um, when the Jesus' resurrection and his vindication was made evident in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit before representatives of all the nations. And so, um, and then we see in the, in the end, uh, or following this, there's a little interlude in verses, um, I guess not, no, it goes straight to song, doesn't it? Okay, after uh, 54.1, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And um, it goes on with this just lavish language. And that's, again, speaks to God's economy because even we see it especially in the servant song of 53 is that in God's economy, glory comes, but humiliation is always first. If you want honor, if you want glory in God's economy, being low comes first. Being a servant comes first. Being humble comes first. Then comes exaltation. Then when it is the right time, God lifts up. It's never just straight up to the top, right? It's always humbling, lowliness, then honor. And so, friends, when you feel humble and low, uh, that like here, this barren one, uh, barren woman in the con- in the culture would not be something that would be env- envied. A barren woman was often cons- considered dishonored or forsaken by God in some way, and yet in that uh, servant, God's economy is He vindicates those who wait for Him. Um, okay, God's hope is something to sing about. <laughs> Okay, I'm out of time, so I need to just kind of move on. But the hope of God's people rests on the character and promises of God. So friends, we should hold on. And I encourage you, I was going to read or go through 63 uh, verse 7 to 64 verse 12. So I encourage you to take a special time with that, especially 
If you are in a hard place, go to those verses 63, 7 to 64, 12. And Isaiah models prayers of what it looks like to be a faithful person in a very hard space. And I invite you to look to those uh, and, and learn, borrow those words for yourself to take to the Lord. Because when you're looking to God for help, you seek no other savior. Our eyes, God has made them, you know, our, again, we're talking about our bodies. Like our bodies are so amazing. He's only made our eyes, you know, in, in most cases to successfully look in one direction. We can't look, like I can't be looking at Eddie and also be looking over here at Noel. Like I can only look one place. And so um, when, if you are in the middle, or not if, when you are in the middle of hard circumstances, where do you look? And what does it look like for you to hope and to hold on to the Lord and to only look at him? And that doesn't mean, of course, that he doesn't use people around us and other means to help us because he is our tangible helper, but we can look to those things versus look to him. And so um, hold on to him. Will you cling to him this week? How has God already used songs of hope to help you? And what songs might you sing this week? Um, How does God hold out to you? Uh, What hope does God hold out to you about the particular hard thing that you're facing right now and who in your life might need your help singing because sometimes friends life is just too crushing and we don't even have the words we can't sing we can't sing ourselves and so we need somebody else to come alongside us and sing those songs over us and help us to remember god is our helper This hard will not last. He gives real hope and he calls us to hold on to him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and we ask that for each of us in the places where you know and you can uniquely see uh, how much and in what capacity we are facing hard things. Lord, would you please draw near to us, help us to trust you And help our conversation now to honor Jesus and encourage each other. We pray in his name. Amen.